are going to be reading from the book of Proverbs, a, a book written by King Solomon that is, that is filled with a lot of wisdom for life, a lot of practical wisdom as well as theological wisdom. And here we read these words. Do not exalt yourself in the king's presence, and do not claim a place among his great men. It is better for him to say to you, come up here, than for him to humiliate you before his nobles. The, the book of Proverbs um, is, as I mentioned, one that, that has a lot of practical advice. It has a lot of practical wisdom for you and me as we live in this world. And, and as you read through the different verses of the Proverbs, you can probably see how a lot of that does play out in life when you're, um, for example, when you are um, frivolous with your money and you spend uh, extravagantly and beyond your means. What does that mean? It, it might mean that you face some financial hardships, and the book of Proverbs has some things to say about how you manage your money. Well, here, the lesson is about what? It's about humility, about being humble. And the picture that Solomon uses here is that of a royal feast that um, a, a king throws in which people are seated according to their social standing, right? And Jesus used a very similar illustration in that gospel lesson that we looked at earlier when he talked about the master, the king, who was throwing the banquet, right? And uh, Jesus, when he came to that, that banquet thrown by the Pharisee, he noticed how those guests of honor, uh, that guests were picking the places of honor at the table. And what did Jesus say? He told them, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. For all those who exalt themselves, right, raise themselves up, will be humbled. Those who humble themselves, who lower themselves, will be exalted. To a large degree, though, our 21st American society has lost touch a little bit with what it means to humble oneself. It's a little bit hard for us maybe to imagine what it was like to, to bow before a, an important noble or even to, to kneel on the ground or lie flat on one's face in front of a king. And that's because we live in a country where it's even enshrined in our founding documents and ingrained in our minds that all people are and should be considered equals. And so in the family and at church and in the workplace um, and even in the government, this idea of partnership or collaboration or the coming together of equals um, is the one that's really fostered. And we don't think oftentimes about how God is the one who does establish people in different functions of authority um, and levels of responsibility. And so what does that mean for us as individuals? Uh, it means that sometimes we can become a lot more concerned about our rights um, and exercising those rights on behalf of ourselves rather than thinking about the responsibilities that we have toward others. And so Solomon here reminds us that a spirit of humility is what God desires. While an attitude of self-promotion, an attitude of exaltation is one that is destined for disaster. But we also want to understand as God's people that this um, wisdom goes a lot further than uh, simply displaying good manners as we live our lives in society, uh, it, it goes a lot further than thinking about the, the earthly ramifications of all of this because it's wisdom that has eternal consequences to it. 
Yes, we aren't regular guests in the palace of a king or important nobles or anything like that, but we do know that every single hour of every single day, this is time spent living in the presence of the greatest king, right? the, the king of heaven, the Lord Jesus himself. And so as that king, as the, the master of the banquet, he's the one who has both the authority to exalt and to humble. And so rather than exalting ourselves in his presence, what are we to do? We are to strive for humility and, as we saw, saw in this proverb, to wait on his gracious exaltation of us in which he says, you come up here. As we live in the presence of this great king, he humbles us. And for good reason. You see, when our sinfulness is set against his holiness, how can we not be humble? You see it again and again on the pages of Scripture, right? Take Moses at the burning bush, for example. What did God say to him? He told him to keep his distance and to take off his sandals. Why? Because he was on holy ground. He was in the presence of his king. The prophet Isaiah, in his vision, as he stood before the throne of God, what did he say? He, he said, I am ruined. Why? Because here was this man of unclean lips who was standing in the presence of the holy king. Uh, even the apostle Peter, when he was in the boat with Jesus, Jesus, who was veiling much of this glory and holiness, Peter knew that, that he was too close. He was too close to somebody who was an awful lot more holy than he was, who was perfectly holy, in fact. And in each of these cases, when, when one of these people was confronted with the holy God, they became acutely aware of their own sinfulness, and they were rightly humbled. Because in his holy law, what does Jesus demand? He demands that we love to the degree that he loves. He demands that, that we serve to the degree that he has served. He demands that we obey to the degree that he obeyed, which is to say to do all these things perfectly. But when we look at even a quick snapshot of our lives, we know that we haven't had the kind of love and service and obedience that God demands, right? Instead of love for him and, and for the other people in our lives, so often the love is shown primarily for ourselves, right? Instead of seeking so much to serve, we much more often seek that other people are serving us. Instead of obeying God according to what he has written in Scripture, we think that, well, if I feel that something else is right for me, that that, that trumps what God clearly tells me. In his law, Jesus confronts us with sin. And he shows us that we do not measure up to his standard. And he's also perfectly clear about what we deserve because of this. That we deserve eternal humiliation. The only appropriate response when we grasp this, when we understand this, is that of the, the tax collector that Jesus described in another one of his parables. You see, when that tax collector came into the temple, when he came into the presence of the great king of heaven, he wouldn't even look up 
He didn't try to impress God by by listing off all of the the good things that he had done as though these might outweigh the bad. He he, he knew that he was a sinner. And he admitted it. He knew that he deserved only God's punishment. And so he threw himself before God and said, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's exactly the, the impact of the law, the impact that God wants his law to have on people. He wants it to drive us to our knees. He wants it to remove any notion that we deserve something good from his hands. He wants that law, in fact, even to leave us despairing over any possibility that we might do something to fix things for ourselves. For our eternal good, in fact, this king humbles us, drives us to our knees like that tax collector. But, you know, God actually humbles us in an even better way than this. Because even greater than humbling us with, with the law, the law's demands, and, and, and with threats of punishment, Jesus humbles us in a far greater way with his amazing love. You see... We live every moment of every day, as mentioned before, in the presence of this great and holy king. And yet he's also the king who humbled himself for us. The Apostle Paul in Philippians tells us that that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Another way of saying that, he, he didn't consider this as something to be used to his own advantage so that people would lift him up, so that people would raise him up and serve him. And that's a lot different than the way that we normally approach our lives, isn't it? How often don't we demand that that we are receiving what we think is our right, right? We say, I deserve this respect because of who I am and what I've done or because of the position that I hold. I deserve this job or I deserve the promotion because of all the company loyalty that I've displayed. I deserve the stuff that I I earn, right, through the work that I do. and, And then I'm the one who really ought to get to decide everything that I do with it. Jesus' attitude, though, it's night and day different from that, isn't it? All the divine power and glory of heaven and of God belonged to Jesus from all eternity. He had every right to it. And yet he laid it aside for our sake. He became sin. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Pay for our pride. Pay for all of our sinful effort to exalt ourselves before God and before others. Every single offense that we have committed, which leaves us guilty in God's sight, Jesus took it upon himself. Jesus took our place. Jesus endured the punishment that should have been ours. He was humbled under the wrath of God's anger over sin to spare us, to spare you and me each from the judgment that we deserve. James said it well in our lesson today. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And that truth is displayed nowhere as clearly than at the cross of Christ. His loving, self-sacrificing example, it's humbling to say the least, but... It does even more than that, right? This good news of everything that 
that our Savior did for us actually now serves to instill in us that same humble heart and spirit like his own. Jesus' great love for us works in us true humility, a true and humble spirit that seeks first and foremost God's glory and the welfare of other people. This humble spirit is what we would call a fruit of faith, a fruit of faith which, uh, a fruit of faith in our Savior Jesus who humbled himself completely for us. Fruit of faith which seeks to lift others up above ourselves. And so this king in whose presence we live every day, he, he not only humbles us with his holiness and with his law, he especially humbles us with his love. But we also want to remember the other side of all of it, right? Remember what else the king said. Everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And there's something very important for us to remember here. Just as Jesus is the one who is responsible for our humbling, Jesus is also the one who is responsible for our exalting. And he does that exactly as he promised. Our sinful nature is going to continue trying to tempt us to exalt ourselves over others, to get recognition, or at the very least to try and press for what we feel is our right. But Solomon here warns us not to take these matters into our own hands, in fact. He says, it is better for him, it is better for the king to say to you, come up here. And there are very frequently times when Jesus does this in our daily lives, when we see that the results of humbling turned the exalting by him and by his hand in our lives here on earth, right? Humble service to God, humble service to others, humble trust in God's promises, humble hard work, and the faithful use of these gifts that he's given us does sometimes lead to blessings in our earthly lives, right? Maybe it is a promotion at work. As the, the boss sees the, the kind of um, serving spirit that you entail. Maybe it is some achievement or honor in the, the classroom. Maybe it is material wealth or other material blessings. And here again, as before, you can find plenty of examples in Scripture that speak to this, right? Think of Joseph. Joseph distinguished himself as a hardworking and trustworthy slave. And as a result, he was exalted to become second in command over all Egypt, not because he exalted himself, but because God decided to do that with him. David distinguished himself as a, a, a faithful shepherd and, and as a brave warrior. And so God exalted him to the throne of Israel and promised to him a kingdom that would never end. Of course, this isn't always the way it goes, and, and, and we do need to be mindful of that, right? The beggar, Lazarus, in one of Jesus' parables, he, he remained a beggar until his death. God has not promised us that the exaltation of his people is always going to include things that, that can be seen and measured. It doesn't always mean recognition in this world. Yet, nevertheless, the king does still exalt those who have been humbled by his grace. In fact, he exalts people in ways that are far and infinitely even greater than those earthly types of blessings that we already mentioned. 
This call to faith, for example, changes our status in God's sight from damnable sinner to blessed saint. And so can anything be greater than the true peace and and the joy which comes into our lives from that? Through faith in Jesus, God calls us his own dearly loved children. Jesus calls us his friends, and he tells us that we are heirs of everlasting life. There are no job promotions, there is no honor from people or, or earthly titles that you could ever have which are more precious than the ones that God has bestowed on you. God even gives us the privilege of serving in his kingdom and of carrying his saving name to the people of this world to announce forgiveness and the promise of heaven to them. There's no work that could ever be more noble than this. To each of us, the king, when he calls us to faith, says, come up here. He exalts us. That exaltation may not be evident or valued by the world around us, but what greater honors can be given to us than the ones that each one of us has already received to be called the sons and daughters, even, of the King of Heaven. And you know what? If that's not enough, there's still more coming. Jesus has promised that the day is near when he will say to us, in the presence of all people and even in the presence of his holy angels, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then will come the exaltation of our mortal, perishable bodies to the immortal and the imperishable. Then will come the exaltation from from earth to heaven, from faith to sight, from just a a taste of his feast that we receive in the supper here to an eternal place at his table. It is better for him, indeed, to say to you, come up here. And he has promised that that is exactly what he will do. We live in the presence of the king. With his great and humble love, he humbles us and he changes our heart. And then with his extravagant grace, he also exalts us to places that we can hardly imagine. Don't exalt yourself in the presence of the king. There's absolutely no need to try. Because at the cross and at the empty tomb and through the gospel that proclaims Jesus' saving work for all, That king has already said to you, come up here. Amen.